Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, we are in a series on the life of of Joshua here. And if you were here last Sunday, we had looked at Joshua chapter 3. And we were looking at how God was leading his people into the promised land. And what we saw last week is how the Lord had, had called his people to be set apart. The Lord said, consecrate yourselves today, for I'm about to do some wonders among you. And we, we had just looked at how this is the calling for God's people and how it always has been God's people. We are a holy people. We are a people that is set apart. And then we saw how the Lord leads his people. As, as God's people were crossing over the Jordan, we saw that the Lord goes first. The Ark of the Covenant, we talked a little bit about that one, about how the Ark of the Covenant was going to lead and how it's our job to follow. I do got to make a side note on last week's sermon. I mentioned last week that my wife and I got into a little argument last week, and, and I'm, I feel like maybe some of you only picked that up in the sermon. And the reason why I say that is because many of you went up to my wife, who should have known what we were arguing about, and you were asking her, what was the argument about? Because it was tied into the sermon there, and I feel like maybe some of you only got the message that pastor and his wife have arguments. I'm, if I did that, I am failing you as a pastor, and um, hopefully this week you will take away something different than, than that. That's... Um, my goal here. Well, this week, we're going to continue in Joshua, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5, and I'm going to ask for you to turn to Joshua chapter 9, and please stand this morning as we read Joshua 5, 1 through 9, and we're going to start in verse 1. The Word of God says this this morning. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the king of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Verse 2, at the time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made, made flint knives and circumcised his sons of Israel at Gibbeth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came up out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all... The people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord sworn to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7. So it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, and jo that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. 
When the circumcision of the whole nation had finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Let us pray. Father, as we go to your word today, Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would come and that you would minister to our hearts and to our minds today. Lord, open up, open up our hearts to you. Father, I desire for you to speak. I desire for, for, for your word to be communicated clearly. And Lord, may we bring honor and glory to you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what is taking place here? God's people had just crossed over the Jordan, which is what we had read about last week. And Joshua is leading them, and they are coming out of the wilderness. And they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. And we see that in verse 6, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. But now they have crossed over the Jordan. I've got a picture up here to kind of, I went to Google Maps as, you know, we checked that out. But if you look at the red dot, you can see on there some dotted lines, and that would be the Jordan River, which, guess what, is still there today. And then you've got Jericho, which is where they're, that's another story that we're going to be hitting on here. But this is estimated where God's people were at this time. And I wanted to kind of give you this kind of visual. So the Sea of Galilee was going to be north of them, and south of them would be the Dead Sea. And now God's people are within enemy's territory. Look at Joshua 1. As soon as the, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, says their hearts had melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. The Lord has brought his people into the promised land and I say the battle has begun because this land was not occupied by friendlies, just to say it nicely. They were the Canaanites and the Amorites. And, but the Lord had promised that this would be their dwelling place. He had promised this to Abraham long ago. And I mentioned this last week. This was a large crowd of people. This wasn't just, you know, 12 people crossing over. This was probably a million people. They estimate anywhere between 600,000 and like 2.5 million people had crossed over and now they are in someone else's territory. And I just kind of share that with you because the battle is what, as you read the book of Joshua, this is what is going to be taking place throughout the rest of this book is how God's people are going to be conquering and, and, and the Lord is going to be establishing the promised land for them. But what we read today, this thought came to me. Now, I'm no military expert. I've never been to war. I don't want to go to war. Those of you who, who have gone to war, thank you. But if you were in the military and you want to take a territory, right? Let's say you're going to conquer so-and-so's place, you know. Let's just say, once again, Marquette, we're going to go and conquer Houghton, okay? 
let's say we get to Berga. We're just outside of Houghton. I guess maybe Berga is a little bit too far, but that's the only town I can think of right now in direction that way because I'm terrible with the small towns up there. But you're, you're coming there. And all these people are now into enemy's territory. And what is God's plan? He circumcises them. And you might be sitting there thinking, and I've been thinking about this, how many times am I going to say that word circumcision today in service? It's going to come out a lot, okay? But really think about this. God brings his people through the Jordan, okay? You're now into the promised land. And now the battles are about to begin. This is what is going to be taking place here. As you read Joshua, it's like it's going to be battle after battle after battle. And who goes down for an extended period of time? The men. Now this wasn't back then. If you're a woman here, you may be offended by this. You weren't going to be going to battle. You're, you're not going to fight, okay? Uh, this was not equal rights back then. It was the men at the time. They were the ones who were, gonna, who were going to be going into battle. And what does God decide to do? All right, we crossed over this Jordan. We're going to put you all on inactive duty for the next week, to say it lightly. I'm not going to go into circumcision. You can look it up if you have not. Well, maybe don't Google that. You may end up getting, <laughs> you might end up getting some really, really bad stuff on there. But I'll just tell you this. It involved a flint knife and the men, okay? And um, just really think about this. It's like this is not the time in the man's eyes to be doing this. I could literally be, be seeing some people like in camp being like, um, we just came through the Jordan and the city of Jericho is coming up, which is pretty well fortified. And we've got, we actually got to make it all the way to the Mediterranean Sea here, which is probably going to be far off. And um, I don't know if we should be going down for this extended period of time. But the Lord used circumcision for whatever reason. I do not know the exact details on why this was, but if you look back in Genesis chapter 17, when the Lord called Abraham, he said, Abraham, you're going to be my people. And it says this, and the sign will be circumcision, Genesis 17, 9 through 11. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall be kept between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male shall be circumcised. This was the covenant sign that the Lord used at this time. Now, it's interesting that Moses does not circumcise these boys in the wilderness. Because it was done on the eighth day according to the law. It's interesting that Moses does not go, go, go like do this at this time because it literally says these were the men who were born in the wilderness. Remember, God's people who came up out of Egypt, they weren't going to go into the promised land. They disobeyed God. And God said, okay, you're not going to be going, but your kids are going to be going. And we kind of have to understand what circumcision is um, because it is the outward sign that the Lord used at this time. And I've often thought, 
how would you even know? Am I the only one who even thinks about that? Like, am I the only one that like reads this and God's like, this is a sign that you are my people. How is anyone else going to know that? I mean, like, really, like, think about the circumstances here. But it was what the Lord had for his people, and it was a covenant sign, meaning you will and you are my people, and this is how I know that you are my people. Well, if you jump to the New Testament, we start to kind of understand what the circumcision really means and is talking about here. Colossians chapter 2. I want us to look at these verses here. This is 2 verses 11 through 14. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. Verse 11 says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Look at verse 11 here. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you might be sitting there thinking, I never thought about that. How have I been circumcised by Jesus? You might be thinking, this is kind of a weird phrase that they would be using here. Well, Colossians wants the reader to connect what was happening in the past. The Jewish people circumcision was such a big deal. It was such a big deal that Paul had to write an entire book, the book of Galatians, to battle what was happening within the church at the time. Was that like, they had people that were from the Jewish background that were looking to Gentiles, looking to non-Jewish people, and they were saying, listen, you must do this thing. If you want to be a part of us, this is, this is like a core value within the Jewish culture. And it goes all the way back to Abraham here. And Paul had to like write this entire book arguing, listen, you guys are going to argue about this when like this does not save you. Like what are you doing here? But then Paul here, he talks about it and he says, listen, Christ has circumcised you. Your old self your old life. Look at verse 13. He wants us to understand who we were before Christ came in. And you, this is who we, we, we were. You were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. He's trying to help us to understand that, that, that you were once like this. And he uses that word specifically. You were, you were uncircumcised in your flesh. He's not talking about the physical flesh within us. He is, he is talking spiritually what God does within us. This is who you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
meaning you were not alive in Christ, meaning, meaning you were, is what Ephesians 2 says, that you were a child of wrath, that you were separated from, from Christ. But what does Christ do? Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. We get raised to life by what Christ does for us. And I don't really have time to go completely down this rabbit hole today, but there is so many correlations on New Testament baptism and Old Testament circumcision that go, it is unbelievable how, how these two outward signs are showing what is really happening inside of our hearts and our minds. And, and Colossians here is simply linking this. He's saying, this is who you used to be. You were a people that were dead in your trespasses. But now in baptism, which God raised him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and this is what Christ does. He raises people to life. Look at verse 14. How does he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, we always have to understand what sin is in our lives and what sin was in our lives. Paul literally says, by the legal demands. Now, I've probably, you've probably heard this example previously, but you know, there is this idea that if we would ever stand before God in like an actual court case, right? And if, 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 if any human being stands before the king and the ruler and tries to stand there on their own deeds, they're going to be found guilty. Meaning all of mankind stands guilty before God. We are guilty of our sin. We've all done it. We all know it. We can lie to ourselves and think, well, I'm really, I'm really not that bad. But he says, by the legal demands, means our debt was sin. And, it, and that debt had to be paid. And it says, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Meaning that Jesus takes care of the debt of sin within man's lives. Look at what, what Romans, Romans 6, 16 and 17 says. He says this, Do you not know that if you present your, yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Verse 17, But thanks be to God, that you were once slaves of sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. See, the world that you and I operate in, they don't believe or think that sin equals slavery. They don't. You know, when you talk to, like, to say, like, people, walk around campus this week, kids, and say, hey, do you know that uh, you're a slave to sin? You know, they'll be like, what are you talking about? No, no. You know, and it's so funny culturally. Culturally, I find this very, very fascinating that within our culture, the more of the sexual revolution that takes place, the more they use that term freedom. 
Does anyone else like pick up on this within our culture? Well, I'm just sexually free, right? And it's like, wait, whoa, 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 like, like, like when you read the Bible, it's like, actually, when you're living in sin, you're, you're actually a slave, Scripture teaches. You become a slave to sin. The only way to break from slavery is through Christ. That's the only way, is that Christ can actually set men and women free from the slavery of sin. And you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, I thought we're talking about Joshua 5 here. I thought we're looking at God's people and, you know, maybe I'm just avoiding that word circumcision. Maybe I just don't really want to go back to that word because as a pastor, it's like, how many times, you know, can you say it? But there's a correlation going on here. And I want us, and I've been, I've been racking my brain around this all week, thinking like, how do, how do we understand this? I want us to really see that the things of the old are simply foreshadowing the things to come in the New Testament. So God's people had came out of slavery. It's interesting that the New Testament speaks up about how sin is slavery, how you're a slave to sin. This is who you were. This is who God's people was. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were in shame at this time. Now, I also know that our culture is not a shame culture. If I was speaking to any sort of Asian culture or Muslim culture, they understand this idea of shame upon their lives, of this immense guilt that was upon them. God's people coming up out of Egypt, it wasn't like they were this perfect crew that just came up out of Egypt. In fact, it even says they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient to the king. They were, they were a, uh, a stiff-necked people, is what Scripture says. But God has a plan for them. God wanted to bring them up out of slavery. He wanted to rescue them. And it's like, this is what God does all the time. This is who God is. It's not just God's people in the Old Testament. Oh, well, they were in slavery. Oh, yeah, okay, now they're going into the promised land. What's the, the big deal here? It's like, well, hang on. We got to see some of these foreshadowings that are like, like taking place here. That when men and women are outside of Christ, they are actually a slave to sin in this life. And it is God who calls them up out of slavery, who brings them. And this is a whole nother topic that I'm, I realize I'm rambling on down here. But I, it's like there's so many parallels going on here, like especially when, when it comes to like, say like baptism and, and circumcision. And it's like God is doing a work within his people. And look at, look at Joshua verse 9. Sorry. Yes, verse 9. Look at what God says here. This will kind of help us connect the dots here if I'm not doing a good job at doing it for us. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. One version says, Today I've rolled away the shame of slavery down in Egypt. What God does within his people here is what God does within all of his people at all times. God takes people 
who were slaves to sin or slaves down in Egypt, he takes them and he transforms them. Now, the Old Testament, (coughs) excuse me, I did bring up water here because my throat. But God takes people and he brings them up out of slavery and he establishes them as his people. In the Old Testament, the sign was circumcision. That was what the sign was. It was this covenant sign that you are my people. In the New Testament, I would argue it's baptism. That when God brings people up out of slavery from darkness to light, God uses all of these, all of these like um, terms and and it's like you were once in darkness, you were once a slave, you, th- this is who you were, and he, but now you walk in the light, now you are with him. And I share this, church, church people, because I have heard from a lot of people that a lot of people struggle with the past of their lives, who they were before they were a Christian, who they were before they were found in Christ. He says to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Today I've rolled away the shame of the past. And I think it's so fitting for us to be reminded. I'm sorry. We've been burning with a wood stove. (coughs) And I think the dryness is like finally caught up to me. What God does is that he takes God's people's past and he rolls it away and he takes it away. And I think for us, as we're looking back upon this story here, it's sometimes difficult to connect all of those dots. But when you become a Christian, what does God do with our past? Does he not take it away? Does he not take away the shame and the guilt of our sins? By the legal demands, Colossians says, he nailed them to a cross. And I share this with us today because I know many people, as they have been following Jesus, they struggle with a lot of their past sins. Not so much as falling back into it, but the guilt and the shame that sin brings upon mankind. And I want us to be a people that recognize that God takes away that shame. That God rolls away the reproach of our past. That God doesn't let us just stay in that shame and guilt in our lives. Scripture teaches us that you are made new in Christ. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And I share this with us because I just, I don't want us to be a people that are constantly living in the past. As you look at Israel, you know what is interesting? Is that when they come up out of Egypt, do you know how many times they want to go back? It's like every other chapter, right? It's like, well, well, this isn't good. We got no water. Well, hey, Moses, like, what's going on here? I got no food, you know? It's like they're just complaining, complaining, and God's trying to do this work within his people. He is trying to let them know constantly, 
I am your God. You are my people. Just simply rest in the fact that you are my people. But they couldn't. That's why they wandered for, for 40 years. They couldn't just simply trust him. They couldn't simply just say, okay, God, I saw all these miracles you did down in Egypt. I saw all these plagues, and then I saw this Red Sea split in half, and then I saw like this, this fire, and, and, and then after that, guys, God literally gave them food every single day. Literally. Came from the heavens. Like, and they were still complaining. They still wanted to go back to slavery. There's so many parallels to us as Christians today. When we come to Christ, he sets us free from our sins. The bondage that was there is broken. We don't have to go back. You are his people. Christ circumcises us. Not a circumcision made with hands. It's a circumcision of the heart that takes place. And I want us as a church to have confidence in that. Because I know that the past sins, the past shame, it can creep up on us. I'm telling you, I, I know this from just experience, from when I became a follower of Jesus. It's easy to be thinking, wow, this is who I was, and yeah, you know, I used to do this. And, and you got all, these, all this baggage that comes into being a Christ follower, and it's like, Christ nailed it to the cross, church. All of our shame, all of our sin, it's nailed to the cross. He took care of the legal demands that was required of us. He did it. And what does God do with his people in Joshua? He does it. He takes care of them. He leads them. And I guess as I struggled with this message this week, I wanted to leave us with that. I want you to know who you are. Who you are in Christ is forgiven. If you have shame, if you have guilt, well, Scripture constantly says if we... If we do sin, Scripture says, I talked about this a month ago, confess our sins. And what does he do? He forgives them. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is who our God is. This is what he does. And I don't want us to be a people that struggle in the guilt of the past or the shame. That's not who we are. God has rolled away that shame from the past. And you are a new creation in him. You are forgiven in him. And it's not you. It's not how great you are. It truly isn't. We have to remind ourselves of the simple message of who Christ is, is that he takes away our sins. All of them. Every single one of them. We don't have to walk in shame. We don't. And I wanted to leave us with that encouragement today, church family. Now, I don't know how we should respond here to the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me today. And Jeff, if you guys can, can come up, you guys, you guys sang a hymn in there today that I think is, is, is powerful there. I guess I would leave us with this, church family. If you are one of those people that struggle with the sins of the past, with who you were before Christ, 
My hope and my prayer today is that you walk out of here knowing that you are forgiven. Completely forgiven. You don't have to keep struggling with that shame. You truly don't. You're not meant to live that way. You're meant to live in Christ. And in Christ, there's joy. In Christ, there's freedom. It's not this constant guilt. And if you are feeling that way today, please come, talk to me, pray with me. I'm actually going to be up here praying up front. And I know that we don't normally do this at our church, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask for our deacons to come as well and for us to be praying with us, to praying with one another, saying, Lord, we are forgiven in you today. Father, help us to walk in that life. I don't want us walking out of here with just constant guilt and shame. That's not who you are. God has done a work in your life. It's not you doing it. It's him doing it. And I want us to be people that walk in freedom in Christ. Not the guilt of the past. Because I know some of us, it's heavy. But you're forgiven. Because scripture, God's word, the Bible says we are forgiven in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. And if you need prayer this morning, I want to pray with you. And the worship team is just going to be playing and singing. And we got plenty of time because the sermon was short today. So let's pray. Father, Father, we need you today. Father, the, the sins of our past that the enemy loves to use. Father, remind us today that you take away that shame, that guilt, Lord. The Father, that we are forgiven in your Son, Jesus. Father, this morning as, as we sing, as we declare who you are, Father, do a work in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to be a people that walk in you. Father, we come, we worship you, we declare to you. Father, do a work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.